Welcome to PR Future, but today we're going to talk about PR Past. With this year's Super Bowl just around the corner, we wanted to take a look at a memorable campaign that dominated the headlines at last year's Super Bowl. M&M's launched a multi-platform campaign where it retired its famous candy spokespersons and replaced them with comedian Maya Rudolph. All throughout 2021, the candy spokespersons were targeted by right-wing commentators like Tucker Carlson. So public anticipation over their announcement that they would be abandoning their candy personalities was naturally very high. As we would all discover during the game, Maya Rudolph's collaboration was a humorous spoof, a play on both the brand's image and Maya's own fun personality. Needless to say, the famous M&M spokescandies would be returning. Jessica Edelman, a member of our USC Center for Public Relations Board of Advisors, joins me today from her office at Mars Wrigley Company in New Jersey to talk about all things M&M. Jessica is a Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs for the company, and she teaches public relations as an adjunct at Northwestern University. I'm your host, Fred Cook, and this is PR Future. All right. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I'm really anxious to talk to you about this today, but before we get to uh, M&M's, Jessica. Let's start off with a little bit about your background, because you have a, a, a stellar resume. Tell us about your PR career a little bit. Yes, thank you so much, Fred, and thank you to USC Annenberg for having me today. It's really a pleasure. And I call myself a little bit of a happenstance communicator, I fell into the field, but I absolutely love the field of PR and communications. I went to college up in New Hampshire. I went to Dartmouth, where I became a Russian studies major. And this was at the end of the Cold War. And everybody was not as interested in the cloak and dagger anymore. But the opportunities to go to Russia and to work for Western businesses who were opening up uh, their operations in Moscow, the opportunities were extraordinary. So I sent my resume to every U.S. company with a Moscow office, and I ended up working for Monsanto. And then I headed back to the U.S. in 1998 to go to business school. I did an MBA at Wharton and a master's in international relations at University of Pennsylvania at the same time. And then I spent time with the global agribusiness Cargill, and then Syngenta, a Swiss multinational that uh, I ran their corporate affairs and communications in their North America region and collaborated globally with my colleagues. And then I had the great fortune to be the chief corporate affairs officer at Kroger, where I was chief sustainability officer, chief communications officer, and got to work on our zero hunger, zero waste social impact plan, which was absolutely one of my life's privileges. And now I'm at Mars, which I absolutely love. And Jessica, that's impressive. You're, you have an impressive background. And how did your past experiences lead you to M&Ms of all things? Oh, great question, Fred. And if you notice the red thread through my somewhat eclectic background is really the food and agriculture space. I think it is so purposeful. How are we going to feed 8 billion, maybe 10 billion people and not destroy the planet at the same time. That is the thing that I am incredibly passionate about. And maybe it's informed by my time in Russia and seeing what difficult agronomic practices did to the environment. And yet still there weren't groceries on the shelves. 
um, that made me appreciate the modern food supply chain. And I've gotten to work at every juncture of the food supply chain. But for me, M&Ms and Mars was the chance to work with some of the world's most iconic and famous brands and to be in that consumer facing iconic legendary brand status with some CPG products. We have $11 billion brands at Mars and the chance to work on those is absolutely fantastic. Wow, that's, that's amazing. You know, M&Ms have been around longer than I have. They talk about iconic. Did you have uh, any idea that they were, had this social significance when you joined Mars? Were you, had you followed their history as a, as a brand? I think we all follow M&Ms as a brand, whether we're aware of it or not, right? Because they're so integral in our our common experience. And um, what I totally underappreciated was exactly how relevant they are uh, in and how much people care about them. And in particular, the characters. I'm, I'm sure we will come on to the M&M's characters at some point in our near future on this podcast. But um, I actually run our call centers as well. And I asked the question when I came in of the team, that our great team that staffs the call center, and I said, you know, just for my benefit, what's the number one thing that causes our customers and consumers to get to get upset? And they said to me, without hesitation, it's when one of our characters does something out of character. I said, what do you mean by that? They said, well, if, you know, yellow, yellow is sweet and nice and kind, our yellow M&M. And if he does something a little bit nasty or people perceive as out of character for him, people get very upset and they say yellow wouldn't do that. So these are amazing assets that we have and think of them more in the Disney framework of a Mickey Mouse or a Minnie Mouse or, you know, these are real characters who mean a lot to our consumers and uh, we're really yeah, that's a lot of responsibility, but we're so proud to have them. And how did you get to know these these different characters when you joined the company? How did you get to know the personalities of each color of M&M? Well, so I think you, as a good communicator and a business partner, you come in and you want to try to spend as much time as you can with the business and to understand how does it operate and what are what are our big drivers of success. And that meant spending a lot of time with my CMO, who I have a wonderful partnership. She's amazing. And then with the brand teams. And one of the things that really helped me understand the personalities of the spokes candies was when we did a massive purpose refresh of the M&M's brand. And we actually touched every one of the characters uh, a year ago in January, which really kicked off a lot of the social conversation that led up to our Super Bowl ad of 2023. Were you surprised by the public's reaction to the changes that you made to the M&M's? I think it did really strike a chord with us on exactly how relevant they were. Um, all of us were caught slightly off guard by the level of conversation. Now, of course, there were a few other actors who got involved and, and really stoked a lot of that conversation. But as you probably know, and, and any good communicator 
will tell you that today's world, you need to be prepared to be in the crosshairs of a polarized discussion. And if you're not, then perhaps you haven't done your due diligence. And if you're if you're going to do something big with your big brands, you are probably going to end up as the topic of conversation. And some people are going to love it and some people are going to have some raised eyebrows. Um, but either way, if you want to be relevant, you need to be in the conversation. And that's where we found ourselves. And that's an interesting point, because, as you know, we study polarization a lot at our center at USC. And we look at issues like immigration and gun control and um, and um, the Capitol riots uh, as very polarizing issues across America. But it was so remarkable to me that M&Ms became a polarizing issue. I, I, I thought that was stunning. But And and uh, do you have any thoughts about why that would why M&Ms would attract so much attention in that regard? I don't, other than I think um, the, you know, the conversation took took a turn that perhaps none of us expected when um, some of our different commentators on cable news networks started to weigh in. But, you know, speaking of your work and the work that USC does on polarization, I went back and I looked on your relevance report, Fred, in 2018, I wrote a piece about polarization and how you know, maybe a decade ago in in our jobs, you, you could kind of tell that you were going to win the hearts and minds generally, but, you know, you needed to be prepared to basically upset 50% of America and you were going to be in the crosshairs. So that was five years ago. And um, maybe I should have paid more attention to my own to my own work in your relevance report, Fred. But um, I think it was an interesting twist that the commentators came in and and brought up a conversation about about, you know, the, the W word, which um, I know is kind of loaded, and capitalism and woke capitalism, but we just decided to keep going and stick to the purpose of M&Ms, and that is around being known for humor and colorful fun. So if we couldn't poke a little fun at ourselves and have some humor in the campaigns, uh, then we weren't being true to the grand purpose. And when you do that, Jessica, do you see any um, impact on sales, positive or negative, from that kind of attention? So we have seen an incredible amount of attention and a big spike in all of the metrics that we track. So if I go back and look at our recent Super Bowl campaign, now first and foremost, it's important to realize um, after doing a few of these big Super Bowl campaigns, which – I will admit, are a lot of fun, uh, and I'd never gotten the chance to, to do them before. So it's one of the things I love about being at Mars. I ask the question, when is the majority of the coverage regarding the ad cycle for the game? And we found out that 90% of the coverage actually took place in the two weeks before the game. Mm-hmm. So that actually shaped and informed how we approached this year's ad by quite a bit. And we set the goal of 15 billion impressions. We blew through that by day two, and we ended up at about 25 billion impressions. And what we have seen is we have seen double-digit sales growth 
on M&Ms by period as a result ever since we did the uh, the purpose refresh. So we're, you know, we're a privately held company, so I won't give you the math math, but I will tell you it has been very accretive to the brand. And we saw a big uptick in traffic on our M&Ms.com website where people can buy the M&Ms directly during the game. That's fascinating. And, and, and it just shows that people are really paying attention. Absolutely. And we, we tried to create an integrated campaign that was taking place on the, the, the big screen, on the small screen, that was very um, sort of multidimensional rather than just a 30-second television spot. It was a shared experience over two weeks where we could really help America be part of the humor and the fun around the characters and the brand that M&M's is known for. Can you talk a little bit about how the rationale and the, see us an overview of why you use Maya Rudolph as a spokesperson in, in this instance? Absolutely. Now, you know, Maya herself, of course, as an actress is known as as a very funny person and the the different programs that she's associated with are always crowd pleasers. Um, and she's also, when you look at her numbers, pretty much all Americans really adore Maya Rudolph. So that was something that we found as a family brand and a company that is really pervasive in in society and appeals to all generations we wanted to be kind of squarely with a spokes a spokesperson and a talent that um america could sort of agree on right and she is a you know was a was a wonderful talent and we were very proud to have had the chance to work for her or work with her with uh m&m's but did you use her instead of the characters was it a switch in strategy, or were you worried about the reaction to the, the M&M personalities? So what we did in the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl was that we announced our spokes candies were going on in indefinite pause. And in their stead, we introduced a new talent in the form of Maya Rudolph, now, that set off a lot of excitement on on multiple dimensions where, you know, even our own associates had questions. Wait a minute. What do you mean the folks candies are on on pause? What does that mean? But again, in the spirit of M&M's and our M&M's purpose of for all fun kind, we wanted to bring humor and comedy to the journey and keep people guessing. So we, we did quickly reassure fans and consumers that they could expect to see the spokes candies back at the end of the story arc when the Super Bowl ad aired. And um, we also saw America get in on the joke in the two weeks leading up to the game. And how have, how have they come back since the Super Bowl? What is, what's been the strategy since then? Well, we had a lot of fun during the two weeks beforehand where we actually created several different storylines for the characters themselves who, you know, went off to pursue outside passions while they were on their pause as official spokes candies. And we set up all these digital first partnerships that were consistent with the various characteristics 
and characters of the specific characters. So Red, he is a bit of an egomaniac and he is our very first spokes candy. So he set up an eBay shop where he was hawking memorabilia on his own personality to try to capitalize on his fame. Yellow, uh, I mentioned before, who is our, our sweetheart, he felt that he just was really born to be a spokes candy. So he went and tried to rep Snickers for a little bit. So we got a little cross-brand promotion. Um, Green, who had set off a bit of a firestorm a year before, with her sneaker switch from boots to sneakers, she did a collab with an up and coming sneaker artist and revealed that on TikTok, um, as well as Instagram. And then Blue went and did, um, some ESPN coverage and <laughs> helped out on ESPN. So they each had lots of different storylines and my favorite was brown she i think she's a total boss candy is what is what i think of her as she rang the opening bell on cheddar and she helped host a couple segments uh, behind the desk on cheddar news so really fun um and then if you were following orange's storyline he had a spotify playlist with meditation because he's prone to a little bit of anxiety so he was able to find some mental peace in his pause as a spokes candy so we had a lot of fun with these digital first partnerships and their storylines separately that were going on leading up to the game jessica that's just wild i i, I can't imagine that you ever thought you would be doing this this uh, intense work with six different colors of M&Ms. Is that, are these programs that you just described, are those coming out of the marketing department or the PR department or how do you interact with, uh, with each other around these uh, different uh, campaigns? Like I said, our relationship as a PR and marketing team is exceptional. And I'm, all the credit goes to my CMO, Gabrielle Wesley. She's amazing. And, you know, certainly if you've been in the communication space over the past 20 plus years, like I have, certainly I have seen a lot of migration towards each other, right? So sometimes people even do CMCO roles. Uh, but the CMO is oftentimes in the, in the parlance of engagement, my best friend at work, right? So particularly when our shared assets are these incredible iconic brands. So I, we worked very, very closely with our branded content team and the CMO and our agency. We have a marketing agency and then we have a PR agency and it was really an integrated agency team that handled and planned and executed this very complicated lots of moving pieces campaign. Uh, it was a, I didn't sleep much in those two weeks, but uh, it was fantastic. And do you have a risk management management strategy around this in case some of this goes awry? Absolutely. We did. I read the risk mitigation framework. I think it was maybe five pages uh, of different scenarios and about 10, 10 point font, um, but it's good. It's, it's a good exercise to think through it. And I think, Perhaps the, the learning for me is even if you have five pages of risk management materials, you know, you, you haven't probably conceived of every single thing that could happen. So that was what I learned during the campaign. And I won't, I won't tell any more tales out of school. <laughs> well, you know, it's so, so fascinating what is happening today in our world and how 
brands are are getting involved in these social conversations, and some more successfully than others. But having this experience with M and M's and uh, seeing the the controversy or the attention that that you get from different sides of the political spectrum, what what would your advice be to uh, other communicators whose companies are beginning to explore this um, this new territory? And how, how do you manage that in a way that's beneficial so that your sales are stronger and, and you're not being punished for your um, efforts? So I think it would go back to, again, the piece I wrote, I wrote for you, Fred, in the Relevance Report in 2018, which really was a rallying cry for companies to pick it and stick it, figure out what you stand for, and then stick to your principles and your purpose and your pathway. And everybody is not going to love you all the time in today's world. We just know that based on the demographics and the heightened sense of divide and polarization in this country today. But if you have the pathway forward, you at least can justify and explain and stand behind the actions you take as a brand and go forward from there. And actually, M&Ms can have a, a purpose and a message of their own as a candy. And that's coming from the company behind it, right? Absolutely. And I think to your point earlier when you said, um, you know, who, who would have thought I'd be talking about these these characters and their different personalities? But, you know, one of the things I've realized as I've, as I've gotten to this point in my career is use what you have to tell the story and to do great work. And I am so proud of the work that M&M's has done to drive acts and not only ads. And what we did was we put together a global M&M's fund, which was designed to help be the execution arm of the purpose, where everybody can have access to inclusive fun. And we've given away more than $1.5 million. We've hosted purpose events with over a million people. We have provided mentorship to 35 different inclusion organizations. And then our biggest activation, which was sort of taking place in in the background against the backdrop of the Super Bowl ad, was around our Flip the Status Quo campaign, where for the first time people could get a shot at Purple, our newest character. We introduced a new character for the first time in a decade. And the first time you could have access to Purple was with an all-female pack ahead of International Women's Day. And every dollar from the pack went to support a fund that we were putting together to support women who were flipping the status quo in their respective uh, professions and areas of expertise. So we awarded 10 grants of $10,000 each to women who had been nominated by their admirers who were flipping the status quo. And as part of the excitement and because of the success of our Super Bowl campaign, we announced that we were funding another 10 flips. So we did 20 in total. And our advisory board with the M&M's fund helped us to select these 20 amazing winners for the Flip the Status Quo M&M's campaign. And it was it was an unbelievable moment. These women were so delighted. They actually got their faces on the billboard at Times Square. 
outside of our store. We have a flagship M&M store there. Uh, and it was just really inspiring. So I get goosebumps just thinking about it. That's a great program. Really fantastic. Jessica, what kind of audience research do you do at Mars, in either in marketing or PR, to gauge whether the, these changes to the characters and these programs are going to be well received? Do you do you do you do surveys or you do focus groups or anything like that? Absolutely, and you know one of the things I wanted to mention is that we saw a real spike in reputation after our purpose launch a year ago in in January of 2022 we saw a real bump in reputation after we introduced purple our newest character in in a decade who is all focused on inclusion and helps us with gender balance on the M&M's cast of characters and then after the Super Bowl ads we saw an 84% positive favorability rating with M&Ms and the brand. And I think for us, the other big thing we look at is the generational appeal. Many generations have loved M&Ms, but we did see a slight, you know, opportunity with the Gen Z demographic. And based on the work that we've done to modernize the characters and to refresh them, we are now um, in the top 10 most, M&M's is the, is the, in the top 10 of most beloved brands by Gen Z as, as reported by Morning Consult. And we had the fourth most loved Super Bowl ad from Gen Z as well. So, you know, we're hitting that sweet spot and staying relevant uh, with, with an iconic brand. And are, do you talk to me a little bit about social media for M&Ms? Do you, are you on TikTok with M&Ms and, uh, and the different platforms? Absolutely. We do a lot on Twitter, a lot on TikTok, a lot on Instagram, and we're pretty much anywhere our consumers are. Fascinating. And are you taking these learnings from M&Ms and applying them to the other brands that Mars has and in, in trying to in, include purpose in across the board? Absolutely. And, you know, something that's wonderful about Mars is it's an incredibly purpose-based company overall. We are family-owned and privately held, and we have the luxury of thinking in generations. So our corporate purpose is the world that we want tomorrow starts with how we do business today. And what we see is a real emphasis on those $11 billion brands I mentioned before in making sure that they are true to their purpose and they are resonating with consumers. So example, um, many people you know, know Mars as a snacking candy company. We're also the world's largest pet food and vet health and animal services company around the world. So, you know, I like to say we've got candy, we've got puppies, we've got kittens. I mean, we've got it all. We've got all the happiness. We're in the happiness business overarchingly. But when I think about those products, um, one of the campaigns I, I admire enormously that we've done is our Hope Reef off of the coast of Indonesia, where we have rehabilitated a large section of the coral reef there um, as part of our Sheba brand, which is a cat food brand. So just you see it all over the place, our Dove Galaxy and our work with uplifting cocoa farmers and women in the supply chain uh, in various different cocoa producing countries. Um, it's very inspiring, and I, I feel really proud to work for a company that, that does this type of work. Of course, here, 
the Skittles brand is synonymous with LGBTQ plus yeah. and pride. Um, you know, when you when you have a brand that says taste the rainbow, then you need to make sure that you're uh, effectively, you know, honoring the rainbow in, in all areas. So we're really proud of those relationships, too. That's remarkable that every brand has its own purpose um, associated with it. It sounds yeah, like. Well, and some are, yeah, some are further along on the journey. But these, you know, we as marketing company and the CPG company, you're always trying to find out what is the differentiation and the in the attribute that you're offering to your consumers. And in today's world, people want to shop with, purchase, work for, invest in, and partner with brands where the values match those of their own. So yes. you have to be real clear on what those yes. values are. We're just releasing new research about reputation that says just that. And it's remarkable how the products seem to drive the image of the company, that people are very focused on the products and they're very focused on what one another are saying about them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we we see that we do a lot of research where we correlate the relationship between the individual brands and the halo effect that they have on Mars Incorporated. And what we find is a very mutual relationship that both the corporate identity and the corporate brand and the individual brands get a bump from uh, the affiliation with each other, which I think is is, a, is somewhat unique, uh, particularly, I think, also a testament to how well Mars has been run as a multi-generation family business over the years. Well, that, that's fascinating because it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, can I ask you how you measure that? What do you use, uh, like RepTrack or any outside firms, or do you do your own research? We have a great relationship with RepTrack, and mm-hmm. we use them for a lot of reputation management. We also, I think I mentioned Morning Consult yes. earlier, and we also do lots of work through our agencies, of course, uh, with our marketing relationships to Omnicom, et cetera. Given all of your experience, does that enable you to sort of predict where things are headed in this crazy world we're living in? Oh, Fred, I wish. And one thing I have learned as I get older is the older I get, the less I actually know. And I think it is important today to make sure that you're reaching out to all generations, to your team, understanding the real dynamics of what's going on out there and the experience is helpful for judgment and helpful in skills that you know you can land things, but the ability to predict exactly how a piece of content is going to land, I mean, those days are long gone. So buckle up and enjoy the ride and know that you can trust your experience and judgment, but be very careful if you think you know everything. Well, Jessica, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun in at Mars these days. Do you like your new job? I love it. I really enjoy working for Mars. And, you know, certainly as you spend decades doing this kind of work, um, I I like to say, you know, we we walked through my history a little earlier and um, I'm kind of glad I did the tough stuff early, if that makes sense. And, you know, I I did pesticides and GMOs for a long time. And um, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say "I'd, I'd like some more pesticides on my food, please. So, you know, that those stripes that you earn in those difficult sectors and segments really help you gain the experience and the perspective to be able 
um, now to confidently and um, cheerfully be able to land pretty much anything I see with these with these great happy brands, right? Um, sometimes people will come to me and say, "Oh, what about this? What about that?" Don't worry about that. You know, I've I've done pesticides and GMOs, so puppies, kittens, and candies are we'll, we'll figure this out. We're going to be able to land it. So it's a fun portfolio. Like I said, we're in the happiness business, and I think Mars is an absolutely wonderful company. Well, I think it just shows, Jessica, that our our work has become more complex and com- and complicated than it ever was before, because you're having to use all of these skills that you you gained working on very serious issues now for candy, and I think it's it's something totally new, and it makes our lives more cha- our work more challenging, but much more interesting. I couldn't agree with you more, Fred. It's it is so true, and. I think it is a certainly a sign of the times, as we, as we all know, uh, but it does make the work so fascinating in in so many ways. And frankly, our skill set, as as you're well aware, and as people in this profession are well aware, um, we are incredibly relied upon partners to our CEOs and to our C-suites and to the business. Um, I'm in conversations today, and, and, and I'm an automatic um, seat at the table in so many different conversations than I would have I would have been 10 years ago, right? Uh, and that is that's exciting. It's a lot of responsibility, but it is such a strong testament to the value that we add as PR professionals. Well, I always end these, Jessica, by asking people the same question, and it's usually what emoji are they relating to these days, but I'm going to ask you a different one. Okay. Which M&M do you relate to the most? Oh, I love that. So I think my my first inclination would be to, to bring up orange. Uh, that's my favorite refresh that we've done. We got in touch with so much of the mental health and wellness discussion coming out of the pandemic and anxiety and taking care of your full self. And so Orange has presented as much more his own anxious, uh, it's okay to not be okay self. So I would, I would encourage everybody to, to be honest and open about where you are personally and emotionally in life today. I find enormous um, personal freedom in, in having my insides match my outsides and working for a company where I can be myself. But, um, you know, I have to say I, I just love Brown. Like I said, I think she's a complete hashtag boss candy. Uh, I love her business savvy. I love her uh, global view. She's she's a bit of a secretary of state, Madam President type. And um, she's informed, she's smart, she's no nonsense, and she's a citizen of the world. So I, I, will, I will end with Brown and the yeah. fact that uh, I love all the characters, but those are some, some personal favorites. Okay. Thank, thank you, Jessica. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. I learned a lot about M&Ms today, but M&Ms are a symbol for what's happening across the country with all brands these days, and it's it's fascinating how well you've managed it, and I hope that you continue to do such a great job. Thank, and thank, thank you for being part of this. Uh, it's really been fun. Thank you so much, Fred, and a huge moment of appreciation for you personally and all of the work that you do at USC Annenberg and the Center for Public Relations. You know I'm a huge fan. 
Jessica and her team at Mars Wrigley have had to navigate some of the toughest challenges in the evolving communications landscape. Like many of us, you never really know what challenges are going to come next. But if you'd like to know more about what we think about the future of PR, you can read our annual global communications report called New Reputation that discusses all of these issues. You can find that on our website along with our other research reports. Thanks for tuning in to PR Future, a student-produced podcast from the Center for Public Relations at USC. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode was recorded and produced in L.A. by Fernando Sinfuegos and Grayson Wolf, alongside the Center for PR's director, Ron Antoinette. Join us next time as we take a deep dive into new reputation. Once again, I'm your host, Fred Cook, and this has been PR Future.